The first sin began with a lie. It began with the lie of the great tempter in the garden. If you eat this, you will become like gods. The lie was that Adam and Eve already were created in the image and likeness of God. The woman and the man, so alike and so different in their complementarity, were like God. The first lie and the first sin were the same. To deny the dignity of woman and man as human beings, to betray their worth as created by God and breathing the very breath of God, to diminish their meaning as persons fashioned by God's hands. Nobel Prize-winning novelist John Steinbeck was fascinated by the moments that followed this lie, when the field of war between good and evil was first being established in the human heart, in a place apart from the garden, in a place the Bible simply calls East of Eden. John Steinbeck's novel by the same name takes us there, into the soil of the struggle between good and evil, the arena where the contests of the human heart are fought. The sin of our first parents quickly became the sin of brother against brother. If the dignity of the human person can be rebuffed in oneself, it can be abjured in another. Life's meaning can be diminished along with the worth of the other person. Am I my brother's keeper? is the question of one who has lost the truth. For Steinbeck, the key moment that determines the trajectory of human history is the instant when all hangs in the balance in the conscience of Cain as he looks at his brother Abel. God speaks to Cain at that moment and tells him in Genesis 4-7, sin lies in wait at the door. Its urge is for you, yet you can rule over it. Steinbeck suggests that there is one story in the world, and only one, retold time and again. It is a story that at once terrifies and inspires us. It is the story lived out in the momentary tick of time before Cain takes the life of his brother Abel. In that instant, the epic path of human history is unleashed. And for the next seven chapters of Genesis, we see the growth of sin, from the solitary error of our first parents to bloodshed of brother against brother to the chaos of the Tower of Babel when no human being, no two human beings, could even understand each other anymore. The single story in human history according to Steinbeck, is this. The enduring presence of sin, lurking in wait at the door, stalking us at every decision. It's every urge to draw us to repeat the original sins of eons ago. The tempter lures us to deny the dignity of human life as holding the breath of God, the beauty of the divine, the love of the Creator. The drama is played out in that twinkling instant when in the concrete moment we choose good or evil, life or death, virtue or sin. It was in the moment of the earliest decision to sin 
that our first parents stood apart from what the garden represents, the place where, in God's plan, everything was at peace, and where the human beings fashioned by God's own hands were at one with God, with themselves, with one another, and with the world around them. That is the idyllic shalom, the peace of God. To be totally at one with oneself, one another, the world around us, and with God. It was broken by a negation of the dignity of the human person. The great tempter in the garden hates the things of God, and especially hates the dignity of God's prized creation, the human being. He sees God reflected in us and hates us for that. Even now, The great tempter wants us to stand with our first parents and turn away from the dignity of who we are as beloved sons and daughters of God and step out of the harmony, the peace of the garden of creation. To stand apart from the garden where the Bible calls East of Eden is to have chosen darkness and to have denied human dignity. To deny the dignity of the human person was the original sin. To deny the worth of a brother's life was the second step in the path that even now leads us out of the garden, east of Eden. When I see in myself something less than a beautiful being created by God's love, beautiful because I reflect the beauty of God, lovable because I am loved by love itself, I repeat the sin of my first parents. I deny my dignity as a person in the image and likeness of God. In doubting my loveliness and wholeness and nobleness, I stand apart from the garden. I stand east of Eden. When I deny the dignity of the human body in all its wonder, when I seek and find something less than pure and holy joy in my body and that of another person beloved of God, when I ignore the dignity of this body and treat it with contempt and impurity and gluttony and lust, I stand apart from the garden. I stand east of Eden. When I see in any other person something other than the person God created that person to be, and when I use that person in the flesh or in my mind for my pleasure, and not the pleasure God would have in seeing that person's gifts and dreams fulfilled, I stand apart from the garden. I stand east of Eden. When I see anything less than wonder and awe in the cycle of fertility that God's wisdom placed within the human body, and instead suppress a healthy reproductive system with artificial contraception, I negate the dignity of the human person. I stand apart from the garden. I stand east of Eden. When I see anything other than God's gift of life and a cherished child of God in any person, a violent man on death row, an old woman locked in her own mind through dementia, an unborn child whose life exists so that her cells can be harvested, a child imperfect to the world whose preborn life can be terminated by a choice, a refugee searching for safety in a violent world that has stolen her home and family and future, a man whose vigor has given away to silent, bedfast weakness through stroke or an accident 
or a lingering illness, a woman whose dignity and confidence was ripped away by sexual cruelty and cries in undeserved shame, a young man uncertain of his identity and where he fits in the world, an addict living a hidden life, ashamed and feeling trapped, an old woman swaddled in a tattered blanket in a dark alley. When I see anything less than a beautiful and beloved and cherished child of God in any other human person or in the face returning my gaze in the mirror, I stand apart from the garden. I stand east of Eden. When I think that human life is mine to bring into being, to cast to the side, to manipulate, to ignore, and to end at will, I perpetuate the first sin. I deny the dignity of human life created and loved by God alone. I stand apart from the garden. I stand east of Eden. The dignity of the human person arises not from the financial wealth of that person or even her moral wealth. The dignity of the human person arises not from what benefit that person offers to society, to family, to history, to culture. The dignity of the human person is measured not by the contribution or the burden she is to others or what a joy or pain he is to be around. The dignity of the human person arises not from the beauty or strength or talents of a person. The dignity of the human person arises because we are what sin wants us to forget and what the tempter hates in us. We are created in the image and likeness of God who is pure love. We are wonderful because we are made by God, loved by God, wanted by God. A few years ago, I was at a large event standing near the cardinal archbishop of that city as he greeted people in a receiving line. Young man pushed himself in line and stood before the archbishop. He said in a loud voice, I am an angry Catholic gay man. To which the cardinal responded as he gazed at the young man, You are a beloved son of God. No, the young man snapped. I am an angry Catholic gay man. The cardinal confidently repeated as he clasped the younger man's hands in his own, You are a beloved son of God. Infuriated, the man repeated, You don't understand. I'm an angry Catholic gay man. At this, the cardinal took the young man in his arms and held him in a tight embrace as he said, But that's not the deepest truth about you. The deepest truth is that you are the son of a heavenly father who loves you more than you can imagine. The young man's anger melted and he wept. God wanted nothing more in that moment to pierce the anger and self-loathing of that young man with the purity of a heavenly father's love. And Satan wanted nothing more in that instant than to continue to deny the dignity of his human worth. In the past few weeks, I've had the joy of being a priest, spending time with several persons preparing for death. Each of them told me their story. 
their childhood, their parents, their spouse, their children, their dreams, their faith. Each of them taught me the dignity of the human person, weak, dying, dependent on others, but so evidently loved by God, not for their strength or beauty or success in the world, but loved purely for love's sake. Their weakness drew out the love of others around them because God's grace is so evident in their weakness. The goodness of the human heart cannot help but reach out in empathy and compassion. It is who we are because we are children of perfect love. It is that truth that the great tempter of the garden hates. He hated it in Eve and Adam, and he hates it in you and me. We are created in the image and likeness of God. You, me, the person sitting next to you, the person you least like, the next person you will meet. We have the fingerprints of God all over us. We have the breath of God within us. No other creature, plant or animal or star or planet, was made by God's hands, fashioned from the clay of the earth by the Creator. Into no other creature's nostrils did God blow the breath of life. Only the human being, no other creature, angel, animal, mountain, star, or tree is made in the image and likeness of God. All human life is precious, if only for that. If Satan sees this in each person, so must we. And if Satan hates human life because it reminds him of God, then we know for certain that every human life is worth our esteem, our love, our awe our protection. Today, the Church celebrates Respect Life Sunday. Now you know why. <laughs>